Today is a wonderful day. It's the most important day of our week. It's the Lord's Day. It's the first day of the week and the opportunity that we have as a few of God's children to assemble and worship God in spirit and in truth. We're so thankful for that. I'm glad to be here with you and to worship with you together. On the screen, the title of our lesson is entitled, Until Christ is Formed in You. And these are not new concepts, but I want to talk on the subject of spiritual growth. I think a congregation has to be focused on growth, and I think the growth has to be focused on ourselves individually first. In other words, if we don't grow individually in Jesus Christ, then a congregation will not grow. I'm very concerned about the church in Plans Road in Bakersfield, California, in this regard. As an evangelist working here, my hope and my prayer is that this congregation will continue to exist far beyond the years that I am here. I think if we are content with just existing, there will come a time when we will no longer exist. So I want to talk about the subject of Christ being formed in you. A very encouraging passage and a very pointed passage found in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. Paul said, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now Paul was writing to those that were members of the body of Christ. They were Christians. And the laboring again, I think what he's talking about, the first labor obviously was when they obeyed the gospel. And he did his part by way of laboring that they might obey the gospel. But also now he's saying, I'm laboring again until Christ is formed in you. I think this is a great passage that shows us that God allows time for growth. That's very encouraging. That God allows time for growth. But also here, as Paul is pointing out, there's urgency. So picture it this way. I'm thankful that there's patience on God's part, but there's urgency on my part. Because growing in Christ is a command. And by the way, we're going to get into the specific things that would describe someone who has Jesus Christ formed in them in just a few minutes. Let me just say by way of an introduction, a couple of general statements. If a person is carnally minded instead of spiritually minded, in other words, driven by the thoughts of the flesh, decisions are made by the flesh, they're carnally minded as opposed to spiritually minded. If that is you, and I don't know who that is, but if that is you, Jesus Christ is not formed in you. If you have a hard time with commitment, I'm talking about commitment to Jesus Christ and his church, then Jesus Christ is not formed in you. If you are a person where Christianity has not changed your life, then Jesus Christ is not formed in you. If your service to God is only when we assemble on Sunday morning as the Lord's church to worship, if that's it and that's the extent of your Christianity, then Jesus Christ is not formed in you. If you obeyed the gospel many years ago, but you haven't grown at all, once again, then Jesus Christ, not yet, is not formed in you. Spiritual growth is a choice that everybody must make. It's a command by God, and it requires a diligent effort on our part. You know, the great blessings, though, we find that God's going to help us in our growth. 
He's going to help us. We pray that God would help us, give us wisdom, give us strength, give us courage to persevere in all those wonderful things. God helps us. But number two, number two, he also blesses us when we do. Spiritual growth, though, oftentimes is hindered by low self-esteem. And therefore, we don't achieve higher levels of spiritual growth because of low self-esteem. In other words, somebody might say, well, you know, I don't have any capabilities. I don't have the ability to do that. I can't really grow. I'm not like somebody else. He's got a whole lot more ability than I do. And sometimes because of low self-esteem and negative self-talk, we talk ourselves out of the idea that we can grow. Now listen, God has never given us something to do by way of a command that we were not capable of doing. Never. He wants us to do exactly what he said, and that is to grow. And everybody's different. I get that. But sometimes growth is hindered by negative self-talk. Be careful about that. But there's also something else about that, too. Sometimes a person says, well, I don't have any abilities. I'm just the one-talent guy. More on that later. I'm just the one-talent guy. And sometimes they use that as an excuse not to try to grow. But growth is a command. All right. What are the goals for growth? I think everybody has to have goals. I think we have to have goals in every aspect of our life. A Hall of Fame running back Emmett Smith one time said, as he was drafted into the NFL, and they asked him, why did you write down every specific goal that you ever wanted to achieve as a professional football player? And he said this. He, it did not originate with him, but he did say it too. He said, dreams are not goals until they're written down. My whole life, my father taught me that people don't plan to fail. They only fail to plan. He taught me you got to write it down. You have a dream. You have an idea that you would like someday. you got to write it down, and it becomes a goal. Then you have objectives to achieve that. Well, the same is true spiritually, isn't it? We should be very specific about that. So it is with a Christian. What I've done is today I have broken down these goals in three categories. Behavioral goals. Functional goals and congregational goals. Now, we're going to spend the majority of our time on the first one, behavioral goals. And this is why. Because behavioral goals um, apply to everybody equally. Everybody here equally. Functional goals and congregational goals, they can vary. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we spend the majority of our time on behavioral goals. Our ultimate goal is to be like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is formed in us when we become more like him. Now, I want to just give us some foundational passages. Bear with me through some of these foundational passages. Because Jesus talked about what it was like to be a disciple. In fact, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, we need to be like Jesus. Who's Jesus? He is our teacher. We are his disciple. What does Jesus want today? What's he want us to be? He wants us to be disciples. He wants us to be followers of him. In fact, in Matthew 28, beginning there in verse 19, the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus wants. He wants disciples, and disciples are properly trained when they become like the teacher. That's what Jesus wants for your life. What's God want? Same thing. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom he, that's God, foreknew, he, God, also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What a powerful passage. And sometimes people get these kind of words uh, misunderstood and, and out of whack there. Foreknew and predestined. Okay? All it means is God foreknew in his mind from the foundation of the world. He predestined or predetermined that a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, would be conformed to the image of his son. From the foundation of the world, that's exactly what God wanted. He goes on to say that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We need to become more like Jesus in our life. What else though? What else? So here in this passage, we are conformed to the image of his son, but there's more. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of our Lord. So, Paul says we are conformed to the image of his Son. He further says we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and one more. In Colossians chapter 3, same author, this is what Paul said. In Colossians 3 and verse 10, And I've put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Notice, we are conformed and transformed into his image, and we are renewed in knowledge. So the essential element of spiritual growth is to become more like Jesus, renewing our behavior to conform to the example of Jesus Christ. And this involves growing in the knowledge of Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be both Give me glory both now and forever. Interestingly, though, this is not just academic knowledge. This is very important. This is personal knowledge through character development. Personal knowledge through character development. You know, this is kind of when Jesus Christ becomes alive in your life. It's when your faith becomes your own. It's when you are truly changed and your behavior has changed. It's when Christianity becomes personal to you. It means something. Folks, I'm going to tell you, Christianity has to be more, has to be more than checking boxes, looking at a certain part, and obeying rules. It's got to be more than that. Now, do Christians have a certain way that we look? Sure, all that's true. It's got to be more than that, folks. It has to be way more than that. And I think sometimes what we do is and please don't misunderstand me. I've not gone off the reservation. Sometimes we talk about the importance of being a member of the church, which is true. And yes, it is. And it's important. And you can't have Jesus without it. I preached that a couple weeks ago. All that's true. But sometimes we talk about what it looks like to be a church member. And we don't spend any time on what it's like to be a Christian. 
to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus, to have our lives that are transformed and changed. Remember that song we used to sing, He's Real? He's Real? What a beautiful song. And what? And He lives in my heart. That's when Jesus Christ changes us. And Christ is now formed in us. Let's spend time also understanding what it means to be a Christian and have our lives truly changed. And by the way, I'll just tell you this right now. The only way that a person going through life with all the trials and all the hard things in life, the only way that you can persevere and the only way that you can handle all the, all the things out there is to be a child of God, be changed on the inside out, have Christ formed in you. And that, that is your Christianity is real and working for you. It has to be working for you. Remember the old time you used to say, how's it working for you? How's your religion working for you? How is it? If it's superficial, it's not working very well. But if it's inward and private and real and you're changed and transformed and conformed and renewed, like Paul said, all those words, guess what? It's going to get you through anything in life. I'm going to show you a, a, a very uh, practical passage now. We've done this before. We're going to do it again. It's great stuff. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Peter says, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. First of all, let's talk about faith for just a moment. The Hebrew writer says, For without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to him must believe that he is. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You cannot go to heaven and you cannot come to Jesus without faith. We know that. But there comes a time in your life when your faith has to change. And what I mean by that, it changes in that it grows. Do you remember when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, when they came to him? Very familiar story. I won't spend a lot of time on it. But when they could not cast out that demon out of that young man, and Jesus finally does it, and they come to him and they said, how come we couldn't do it? What were we doing wrong? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief, which means in the original, your little faith. They had little, weak faith. And then he says... If you could just have the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains and nothing would be impossible for you. In other words, the mustard seed that starts off very, very small, it grows to greatness. What he was telling him is your faith died small. It didn't grow. You don't have great faith. You got little weak faith. So every Christian, there comes a time in our life, our faith has to grow and become real. But not only that, we got to add some stuff to it. Now, I don't know about you, but I love practical passages of Scripture that I could say, okay, you know what? Things are a little out of sorts right now, but if I could just get my hands on a practical passage, it'll help me. That's this one right here. Here's some specific things to do. These are the things that we add. We add virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and we add love. I'm going to define these, and then we're going to put them all together. 
What do they actually mean? These are things that we have to add. Number one, adding virtue, that is moral excellence. That is your quality of life. So you add to your faith. Faith in what? Faith in the gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ. You just obeyed the gospel. You became a Christian. i got to add something to that. What am I going to add? I'm going to add moral excellence. Moral excellence also uh, based upon something. i got to add knowledge. And by the way, this, is, this word actually means correct insight. Okay? So anybody that would say that you can't know real truth or you can't understand absolute truth and everybody's truth is for themselves and they choose and all that, that's not what this word means. You know what it's saying? Peter is saying you add knowledge. This is correct insight. It is knowledge properly understood, comprehended, and applied. That's what it means. Understood, comprehended, and applied. Proper knowledge. What else do I have to add? Well, i got to add something that we all need. And that's self-control. And it literally means to hold oneself in. Now, some people don't have trouble with that. Some people do have trouble with that. But I'm going to tell you, every Christian needs to know about self-control. We all do, right? What else? Perseverance. Perseverance does not mean passive acquiescence. You know what it means? It's an action word. It means endurance to do what's right. Godliness is something that I have to add to, and that word means reverence. It's having a practical awareness of God in every aspect of my life, and if I got that, you know what's going to happen? It'll demonstrate itself in action that's called righteous living. What else? i got to add some brotherly kindness, which is brotherly affection. And finally, I've got to add agape love, sacrificial, selfless love. Now, let's put them all together. These are the words and what they mean. So what Peter is saying is, the first thing i got to think about when I obey the gospel, i got to add some stuff to my faith. I'm going to add moral excellence, quality of life, based upon proper knowledge, knowledge that is properly understood, comprehended, and applied. You know what that's going to do? It's going to give me the ability to have self-control, to hold myself in. It's going to also give me something else too, and that is the strength to persevere, to endure, to do that which is right. All based upon godliness with a practical awareness of God in every aspect of my life, I will demonstrate that godly life in brotherly kindness, which is brotherly affection for others. All in my pursuit of agape love, sacrificial, selfless love. Two things. One, it's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong thing. And two, it doesn't just go in one direction. Watch, it goes the other way too. It is a cycle like this, around and around. Notice, if I have in my pursuit of agape love, you know what, if I've got that in my life, you know what's going to happen? It'll manifest itself in brotherly kindness, all based upon godliness with a practical awareness of God in every aspect of my life. It's going to give me the strength to endure. It's going to give me the ability to hold myself in. It's going to be based upon proper knowledge, all in my pursuit of virtue, moral excellence. It goes the other way, too. That's some pretty great stuff that Peter gave us to do. When we develop these graces, we are truly fruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And again, these are not just academic knowledge, but personal knowledge through character development. That's when the Lord becomes real in our life. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will 
be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, all of these graces that we talked about were best personified in Jesus. So, the more that we grow in them, the more we truly know and understand our Savior. But I understand, too, that there's great challenges sometimes. You know why it's challenging to grow? I think it's challenging to grow for a couple reasons. There may be others, but I'm just going to use two. I think it's challenging to grow because it requires diligent effort. And sometimes we choose the path of least resistance sometimes, sometimes not meaning to. Sometimes we just get busy. But it takes diligent effort on our part. So if I'm going to grow as a Christian, it's not a one-time thing. It's a diligent effort that I must put forth. Number two, it also requires a sustained effort. Paul talked about that in Galatians chapter 6. And sometimes it's it's a sustained effort even if we're growing discouraged. You ever been discouraged? Sure you have. Everybody's been discouraged. That's why Paul says, do not grow weary. The King James says, in well-doing. The New King James says, in doing good. Don't grow weary, even if you're discouraged. So, sometimes it's hard for people to grow because it takes a diligent effort and it takes a sustained effort, even when we grow discouraged. As stressed before, though, such growth does not come naturally. If we're not very careful, we revert back to our formal conduct and character. You know, they, they, you know the, the old saying, if, we've always, if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. Sometimes we have the best intentions. Man, we got some great intentions. We're going to start out on fire. And it's just a matter of time before we revert back and forget. That happens to us, doesn't it? It's kind of like this. January 1, everybody's New Year's resolution, most people's New Year's resolution, they're going to improve themselves somehow. Usually go to the gym, get in shape. Gyms are packed in January. By March, they're thinning out. You know why? Because people just go back to what they've always done. And sometimes with it, when it comes to growth, we need to be careful. We need to be diligent and we need to be steadfast in our work to grow or we'll drift back. We don't want to do that. We don't want to drift back. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. I remember years ago, Brother Linwood Smith, he said this. There's no telling. How many people we could save if we didn't have to keep saving the same ones over and over? Linwood said that. I'm quoting Linwood. But I get it. I understand it. Sometimes we try to beg people, almost beg people to be stronger. Beg people to be committed. But at some point in time, folks, you have to decide in your heart, this means more to me. This means more to me, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to be the Christian that I should be, and I'm never, ever, ever going to turn my back on the Lord. So, we are conformed, transformed, and renewed to the image of Christ. That is our behavioral goals. But then we go to this. Actually, let me just, one more passage here. In Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good 
an acceptable and perfect will of God. So now let's talk about functional goals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about functional, different functions in the body of Christ. The church has many members. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Now, interestingly, there are many members, and everybody is needed. There's not one part of my physical body that is not needed. Every member of the body of Christ is needed. You might be saying, what, you mean me? Yeah, you. Yeah, you. I've said this for years. I'm going to say it again. If the church is going to be all that it could be and should be, it's going to take all of us. I believe in that. It's going to take all of us. Everybody is needed. But also, understand this. There's many members, but we don't all have the same function. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, for as, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So, what do we learn? There's many members in the body of Christ. Every member is important, number two. Number three, we don't all have the same function, but number four, everybody has to do their own part. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. As members of the body, we have to grow. We have to develop our functions. Now, some people might have different functions than others and different abilities and talents. More on that in just a minute. But there are some people that teach. But just because you don't teach, and that's not your role to teach, or you don't have the ability to teach, doesn't mean you don't have a role in the body. I know people that are some of the greatest servers I know. Man, they serve others. They serve others like crazy. They're awesome with that. They're good at that. They see about the needs of others. They pick up the phone and find out about how somebody's doing. Reaching out. Some people are incredible song leaders. I am not. But we have some that are right here in this congregation. I've always thought it was awesome to be able to pick up a songbook and you've never seen it before and then just sing it. Okay? Everybody has a role. Everybody has abilities. Everybody has a function. Everybody does. Now, whatever abilities that we have, we have to utilize those abilities in the service to God. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. So whatever you have, notice what 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 says. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Failing to grow, waste the abilities that God has given us. Look at this passage right here. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Notice, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
Let me ask you, if you've been a Christian for 10 years, have you grown in knowledge at all? Can you handle the meat of the Word of God? Are you hungering for the meat of the Word of God? Or are you in infancy stage and you still need somebody to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God and you still need the meat, the milk, and not strong meat or strong food? Have to grow. Growth comes from nourishment. You know, I really believe we live in a Bible illiterate society. I do. There was a time, and you know this, there was a time, if you're anywhere near my age, you'll know this. There was a time when people, even in the world, knew a little something about the Bible. People would quote scriptures, people would have passages of scripture that that were their favorites and so forth. And it seems to me today that there's many people that uh, have absolutely no idea about the word of God. But on the same level, or with that being said, Sometimes we have Christians that are malnourished too. Members of the Lord's church that are malnourished. But growth comes from nourishment. Now the challenge of reaching our functional goals is determining what our functions are based upon our abilities. I get that. So let me ask you this. I'm going to put all these things on the screen. Because based on your abilities will determine your function. Number one, what are mine? What are my abilities? Because my abilities will determine my function. So ask yourself, what are my abilities? What can I do? Number two, ask yourself this. Do I really lack certain talents or do they just need to be developed? Listen, I'm going to tell you, I've known some teachers that started off, they had ability, but they started off and, and they were green like everybody else is when you start out, right? In time, man, they grew. You know why? Because they always had the ability. It just needed to be developed. So ask yourself. Ask yourself. Do I lack certain talents or they need to be developed? Number three. Am I the one talent man really? Or is that an excuse that I use not to grow? What else? Is my lack of development due to laziness and indifference? Am I selling myself short through negative self-talk? Or watch this. Is the world preoccupying my time and energy so I have no time for spiritual things? By the way, this is your list. This is for you. I've already looked at it. I asked myself the same stuff too. But ask yourself these questions. What are they? Do I lack talents or do... Do they just need to be developed? Am I the one talent man or do I use that as an excuse? Is my lack of development due to laziness and indifference? Do I sell myself short through negative self-talk? And is the world preoccupying all of my time? All of my time and energy? Again, as I said in our introduction, if we just continue to exist, there will be one day when the church in Bakersfield will stop existing. So we have to grow. We must have behavioral goals, and we must have functional goals. And finally, we must have congregational goals. Now, individual growth is intertwined with church growth. The work of the church is threefold. And here's what it is. Number one, edification. Number two, evangelism. And number three, benevolence. And that's benevolence with our own, by the way. That's the work of the church. 
So there are people that have all kinds of ideas in the world, in the religious world, about things that the church does and so forth and so on. This is what the Bible teaches with the Lord's church. This is the function of the Lord's church. This is what the Lord's church does. Edification, evangelism, and benevolence. Now, edification can be done privately. It can be done publicly. It can be done by teachers and preachers of the gospel. Evangelism. It can be done by the, by the evangelist. It can be done by a congregation reaching out to those that are in the world. And benevolence taking care of our own. You know, we always pray that God will bless our congregation with growth. And we mention specific things, don't we? We say grow in strength. Grow in knowledge, grow in wisdom, grow in patience, grow in love, and grow in number. And I always pray, because I got it from my father, I always pray with the drawing power being that of the gospel and nothing else. Do you see the responsibility that we have? We have to reach out. To those that are in the world around us. And I got to tell you. It's true that the mass numbers of people coming to Christ. Are perhaps coming to Jesus Christ in other countries. That's probably true. But that doesn't remove our responsibility in our local city. In our local town. Right here. In fact if the church isn't strong here and growing. Guess what? We won't even have the means to send preachers to those faraway lands. Evangelism. You've heard me give this little illustration years ago in a totally different sermon, but I've put it in this one now. But I think it really fits about having a vision for those that are lost in the world, wherever they are. There was a story told about a wise Indian father, and he had three sons. And he determined to give all of his worldly possessions to one of his three sons that manifested the greatest promise and the greatest prowess. As a test, he pointed to a mountain that was bold against the sky, and he sent all three of them up the side of the mountain, and he gave them one instruction. He said, when you come back, when you return, you have to bring in your hand a token of how high you climbed. The first son wasn't gone very long, and when he came back, he handed his father a white wild flower. His father knew exactly how high he climbed because he knew that grew just above the timber line. The second one was gone quite a bit longer. And when he returned in his hand, he had a red flintstone. And his father knew that son made it almost to the top. But the third son was gone for a long, long time. And when he returned, he stood before his father and he said, Father, I have nothing in my hands because where I went, there was nothing to bring back. But I stood on the summit, and I overlooked the valley, and I saw two great rivers join the ocean. His proud father said, son, it's been my life's ambition that one of my sons would see what you have seen. You have, as it were, nothing in your hands to show for your travels, but you have something that's far greater. You have vision in your soul, the greatest of all. I'm going to tell you something. We may think in our life, in all of our efforts, we stand, open, we stand empty-handed. But if we can say that where we've gone, we have stood on that summit, 
that we've overlooked the valley and we saw the two great rivers of human need and soul starvation join the ocean of life, if we could say that where we've gone, we've seen that and we did all we could, we'll have something far greater. We'll have a vision in our soul, the greatest of all. Evangelistic goals. In conclusion, this morning, if we desire to grow spiritually, we're going to have to have behavioral goals. And that is that our Christianity becomes more than just what we do. Now, what I mean by that is when we assemble in attendance to worship. Our Christianity has to be more than just what we do in, in attendance at church. It's got to be what we are. Functional goals determine strengths and fill a function. And everybody in a congregation is needed and everybody is necessary. Our congregational goals, if we're doing all of that, if we're being transformed on the inside out, if we're occupying our functions and doing what we can within our role, guess what? Then we can have congregational goals too that will reach out and see the lost, save the lost, and keep them saved. One final thing about that. There was a survey done. And I got to tell you, my whole life, I've always kind of said, and you maybe have too. I know the old timers said it a lot. But the people that are in the religious world looking for a church are just looking for entertainment. That may be true in some degree. I don't know. Maybe true in some degree. But I know one thing that's not the majority. There was, a, there was a poll taken not long ago, and they were asked, what are you looking for in a church? This is people out in the Christian professing world. What are you looking for in a church? Do you know what happened? 83% were looking for a church that has a good sermon preached. Something in the Bible that can help me practically in my life. That's number one. 83% said, we're looking for a sermon, places where they preach sermons that are helpful to me in my life. And number two, get this, 79% of that 83% said, we're looking for a place where the leaders of that congregation reach out and make us feel welcome. If that's not in our wheelhouse, I don't know what is. We got the truth of the word of God. We got people that care and love others. And want to reach out and make them feel welcome. We can make a difference. Are you growing? Is Jesus Christ formed in you? If so, Jesus is your life. Finally, Jesus Christ is not in you if you are not in him. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ have put on Christ. You've got to become a member of the Lord's church. You have to become a Christian. You do that by contacting the blood of Jesus. Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus further said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you, no, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. I've got to change my, heart, my mind. I've got to change my heart. It's going to change my life. Which the greatest thing of ever, when I do that and I obey the gospel, it changes my relationship with the Lord. Great stuff. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. And that confession is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
1 Peter 3.21 says, The like figure where to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've never taken those steps of obedience, you need to do that today, and we'd love to assist you in that. Contact the blood of Jesus, have your sins washed away, and Jesus will add you to his church. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.